Hey, Seth. How are you? Sorry, it took me a minute to get, I had to download Zoom. Ah, uh, no worries, bud. No worries. No stress. Cool. So what's going on? How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Look, you can see, I guess, sun is shining. So that's already sweet. That's and, good. Uh, yeah. How are you? Awesome. Good. Yeah. All good over here. Man, last time I saw you is when we had the pizza in Copenhagen, like, I don't know, man, 10, 12 years ago or something. Yeah. It was a long time. Yeah. 10 years. Mm-hmm. You've, yeah. Been, you've been, you've been all over the place. Like, yeah. Busy B. Yeah. A little like, bit. You too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess we, we can relate in that thing with that. We cannot sit still that much. Like, where are you living now? Is it New Mexico? Mm-hmm. Nice. I'm in New Mexico. How is it? Because you used to live in New York, right? Brooklyn or something? Mm-hmm. I was, uh, well, I'm from here. So it just, yeah, it's great. I love being back home. Nice. You, know? you got family there? Mm-hmm. Nice. And uh, what's the name of the shop that you, that you, put, that you uh, open? It's called Shrine. Nice. And you get a great collective there. Like you managed to put together a super team, right? Yeah, we're, and we're all really good friends. So it's really nice. It's just a good shop environment, really good work environment, good friends, good conversation, good artistic practice and help. Yeah. It's like a little community. Nice. And uh, so let's, let's give a little bit of context, a little bit of background for people that, you know, younger people that might not know you and stuff like that. So how long have you been tattooing for? How did it start? You know, you said you're from there. Um, I've been tattooing. Like, uh, I think I started in 2007. And I started a couple years before that, maybe 2003. I started working in a shop here in New Mexico. Uh, shop's called Four Star Tattoo and my high school was like a very weird little arts and science high school. And one of the things was like, we were able to ask if we could work with people from the community. So I wanted to tattoo. I was like 15 years old and they were like, that's crazy. I don't think we can do that. Blah, blah, blah. So they end up getting in, in contact with this shop through a friend of mine. And the guy's name was Mark Vihill, and he decided to like let me come in one day a week and just give me books, let me learn a little bit. Like he gave me all the tattoo times my first day, and he was like, "Read these, come back next week." And then Sailor Jerry, and just like things like that. And then that went on of me and Mark's relationship just sort of, I guess, changing over two years of high school, like the last two years. And by the end, when I turned eighteen and graduated, he offered me an apprenticeship. So. I took a little hiatus. I went to college for like a year and then came back, started tattooing. Um, then I moved to, I'll just skip all the details unless you want to know them, please ask, but Santa Fe and then went to New York in 2010, worked at a couple shops and then ended up working at Saved with Chris O'Donnell when he took over. He hired me there and him and Scott owned it. And then Chris left, Stephanie and Virginia, who are amazing, took it over. Then I went to Kings Avenue for four years. Then I went to San, San Francisco to Seventh Sun for two years. And then Santa Fe. Now I've been here. We're just starting our fourth year here wow. again. Like, would you describe that trajectory is kind of like the ideal dream of every tattooer, right? For the, the names that you mentioned. 
apart for obvious reasons like your talent and your commitment and stuff like that right what how 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 did that path came to be like of starting tattooing or the path of no like uh, you know you you moved to new york and then you ended up working with some of the you know best people in the business and then from there obviously gets a little easier if you if you allow me you know because then you know they see how you work and then you got a connection network but like how did you like why did you move to new york in the first place and then how you know how 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 do you remember it like the first contact you got with these people and stuff like that well i i got really into um grez grez's work when i was in new mexico here in santa fe and I remember my friend, um, Liz Prince, she's an awesome comic book artist. She was getting her arm done by Mike Rubendahl. So she was almost done with her arm and I was already apprenticing. I was obsessed with every part of tattooing. And, you know, she'd send me little pictures and stuff. This was 2000, maybe eight or something. So she calls me and she's like, hey, you should come to the last session of my sleeve you know, fly out to New York and we can go and maybe you could get tattooed by Grez or someone. So I called Kings Ave and I, they, they set me up with Grez for the end of the night. So I flew out there and I got a little tattoo on my shin from Grez and just talked. And then afterwards I asked Mike if he would tattoo me and he was like, yeah, no problem. Like put your name on the list to leave a deposit or whatever. However, I don't remember exactly how it worked. So I did that. And then like two years later, they called me and they were like, Hey, your appointments in a couple months or something, we're booking stuff out. So at that point I'd been apprenticing for three and a half years and Mark, my teacher here, he really wanted me to stay for five years of apprenticing. And, uh, and I broke that contract that, that agreement we made because I wanted to go get tattooed by Mike and I wanted to get my arm done. So that was, uh, it was hard to navigate as a, as a little kid, you know, I was 19 or something and I was dumb and didn't keep my word. And I'm really thankful that me and Mark are able to have like a, a wonderful relationship now, but I think for a couple of years it was, it was hard, but I, you know, so that was the impetus to move was to get tattooed. And then my partner at the time, she wanted to move to New York. So I sort of told Mark, my teacher here, I was like, I'm not going to come back. You know, I'm, I'm going to try this and see if I can do it. I've been here for a long time and I have wanderlust and I want to try it. So I get to New York. The day I got there, I got tattooed. I drove from here to there. And then, um, yeah, I couldn't get a job anywhere. I tried. I had a list of like 20 shops in New York and I was like, these are the places I'd want to work. And I made a portfolio and I'd go and I was horrible at tattooing. So it was not going well. And then that sort of kept going and kept going and bringing portfolio and bringing this and redoing it and bringing stuff and adding new paintings and flash and redoing it. And then finally got a job on St. Mark's and <clears throat> in the back of a, a bong shop, like, smoking weed they sold like fake drugs and stuff and it was it was noon till 4 a.m four days a week so i'd be there for like 16 hours i don't know how long it was and no one would even come in till like 10 p.m when the bars started like getting crazy in that area and um 
yeah. And it was driving me crazy because I was, it's the worst schedule ever. And it was really hard for me to like stay motivated. And the people I worked with, there were some nice guys there, but it, it just didn't feel like what I imagined New York to be. So I was getting to the end of my sleeve with Mike and I just asked him, I just was like, Hey, do you need someone here? And he was like, no, absolutely not. We're, we're booked. We're full, but let me ask around a little bit and see if I can hear of anything. I was like, okay. And then, um, next thing I know, uh, Chris O'Donnell, I don't, I don't know if he called me or emailed me. I can't remember, but he got in contact with me. And he was like, Hey, do you want to come and meet me and just talk to me at saved? And I was like, yeah, I would love to. So I went in and Chris was just like, Hey, let me see your work. And I really don't know why he did what he did. I don't know why he would hire me in New York because there's so many amazing tattooers, but I think for him, it was a safe move because it wasn't stepping on anyone's toes. I wasn't an artist. He wasn't, I wasn't an artist from like a well-known shop. He wasn't poaching anybody. And I, I don't know. So he was sort of like, well, maybe you could work here if you want to work here. And I was like, yeah, I want to work here. And he was like, okay, maybe you can come and work like one or two days a week, but in like four months, five months from now. And I was like, okay. So I just sort of waited around, like hoping it would actually happen. And then, um, and then that, that's how I got into that. And, and Scott Campbell, who owned Saved until that moment when he started sharing it, I'd been tattooed by him when I was 18 through like another weird Santa Fe connection. So I knew Scott too, and he was always really kind and nice to me. So he was like, he was like, oh, you're coming over. Cool. Like, well, you know, he was like, sort of just, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. It's great. So I guess I, I owe it to Mike, you know, because he, um, and he told me later, he's like, I, I don't know you. He's like, I don't know your work. I just knew that you were a nice guy, like a nice kid. And he's like, that's more important than being a good tattooer in a lot of instances. And a good tattooer can be molded. They could be shaped, you know, like we can teach that, but you can't teach someone to like be kind and have respect and, and, and all that stuff. And it's pretty surprising because I was so young and I was, yeah, you know, you're, you make say stupid stuff and make mistakes and yeah but it was it was amazing yeah it was the best that is like such a piece of wisdom from someone that you can tell has been in the game has seen the world and met people because now perhaps you you know you're older now you understand how much wisdom and foreseeing and experience there is in those few words because they've yeah. gone through that and i'm sure they got their heart broken they got you know made some enemies along the way because you believe someone and then it doesn't turn out to be what you think, you know, all that kind of stuff that went through it and they gave it to you. And I'm sure like maybe at that time didn't make as much sense as now, but now you see how much that was worth. You're like now even more like, Oh, that guy knows, you know what he's doing and definitely had an eye. But one thing real quick, I would like to recap on real quick. You said that, you know, you broke your contract. You didn't keep your word. And it sounded like, you know, now you, you, say, okay, perhaps I would have done things different, you know, even if things turn out to be the way they are because things went that way, right? But if you would just very briefly uh, tell some, you know, some young kids now uh, they might find themselves one day uh, in the same situation, right? In the in terms of like, 
you know, keeping your word or that kind of dynamic, what would you advise them, you know, based on your experience? Like, okay, now I know better. Perhaps you might do things this way rather than that way. I mean, and this is odd, but it's another thing that was told to me is that we're only as strong as our word. So if we say we're going to do something or commit to doing something, if you don't do it, the only one you're hurting is yourself. You know what I mean? Like that's all you really have at the end of the day. You take away your possessions, your money, all of this stuff. It's none of it matters. The only thing that matters is you being true to yourself. And if you're going to tell someone you're going to do something, I, I do believe you should do it. Um, and I've said, use my words in plenty of ways I wish I could take back and regret to this day, you know, but I've also tried to learn from that experience and really the importance of a commitment, like, like an apprenticeship is so, it's such an undertaking. And now that I've, I've been in the position where I tried to, um, apprentice or help some other people here. And I'm always super open with tattooing and super helpful to people who want to. Um, I realize how much work goes on the other side of that now. So for younger tattooer, I think that the only thing you can really do is be committed and just know. I always knew that my teacher had more to show me than I can learn on my own. And I've sort of kept that mindset with me through my whole career. I, it's really important to me to keep learning and keep like asking questions. How do I draw this better? How can you help me? Is there any way like you can help me with composition or this or that or this and never feeling like you're good enough to just plateau? You know what I mean? Like you have to want to get better. So if you make a deal to do an apprenticeship, I, I, think you should do it within reason. I do think five years is a long time and I'm not, I would do the same thing today probably, but I think I'd be more upfront about it being like, Hey, I'm not going to do five years. How about two or three? Like, let's figure out a middle ground, you know, but maybe I didn't have the, the foresight to, to ask at that point. So yeah. does that sort of answer that? Yeah, of course. Of course. It's just something. Okay. Know, the whole point is like your experience, which is definitely valuable because you know you 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 achieved you know a level of competence that right that it's outstanding so and it's not only technical stuff it's not only draw like this draw like that i think it what shaped you into what you are is also like those you know a way of doing things a way to uh, relate to other people a way to respect certain things you know so you know that that's what can help other people right um can you remember uh, how it was for a kid from, you know, for, from Santa Fe uh, into New Mexico, you know, like ended up in New York, right? Which is this beast, you know, the, the, the first weeks or something, like, how, how was it? Like, how did it feel? Well, I have some family in New York, so okay. it felt part of it was comfortable and part of it is insane. You know, like now when I go to visit, I could never do it. I don't think I could live there again. I'm not sure. Now that I've been gone and come back, I'm like, wow, I don't know how I did it. But I think when you are first starting tattooing, when you have like a drive and you have like these desires, and I still have those drives and desires, they've just switched. 
So, yeah, I always thought if you go to New York with a plan, you're going to succeed. If you go to New York and you're just like, yeah, let's just see what happens and blah, blah, blah. Like I had goals. I wanted to work with certain people. I wanted to learn from them. I wanted to get an education in tattooing from certain people. And I went and tried to do that. And it, it wasn't like a slimy thing. It wasn't like being underhanded with anybody. I was like, no, I want to get tattooed by Mike. I want to get tattooed by Chris. I want to see what they have to teach. And, um, was super open about that. And I would ask a shitload of questions. So, um, that was why I went was really for like an education in tattooing and yeah, tattooing has been a part of my life longer than it has. And, and it's all I think about even to this day for a lot of the time, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's an obsession that I think is healthy most of the time, but, um, yeah, that was, and that's why I wanted to make books on it too, not to segue into afterlife, but those, my first day of, a, of being in the shop and Mark handing me those books, that was such an impactful moment for me because I realized that, you know, this was 2005, there's the internet and all that stuff, but there's, it's not the same. There was my space, but that was it. So, you know, I remember when tattoo blogs started coming, like pre-Instagram, social media, these things. But all of the information is in was in books and it was by word of mouth and it was in Tattoo Artist Magazine or whatever these things. It wasn't in these skin and ink and these other things that were coming out, which were cool, but it just didn't have the history or the knowledge that I was looking for. So I realized that I had to go in person because it seemed to be at that time the only way to get the information. So I was privileged and fortunate enough to be able to go do that. And uh, it was an amazing experience, but then it led me to, to want to make those books that have that experience for other people, rather than looking at your phone or at your iPad or whatever it is. So like, you know, when you started and you said, okay, I went to this place asking for learn teaching model tattoo. And the first thing the guy does is put in your hands tattoo time. Right. And yeah. at first it really, now we're gonna say we're gonna remind what tattoo time is for people that don't know, right? Like people that don't yeah. know because it's a, it's a bit of a milestone, right? Yeah, I yeah. can see the I can see the bookshelf behind you. Here, so here's three of the old tattoo times. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, That's, and so uh, what I like of that is that you know before telling you go do this or come here do that is like okay take these books and go home and read them, right? So. Uh, People know what people that know tattoo time, they know they know their value. What to people that don't know, what would you say was the uh, you know the value, the revolutionary aspect of tattoo time when it came out? You know, I think it's it was different for me at when I saw them because I didn't know the value. All I knew was this was something on tattooing. It didn't feel special to me. And I remember even looking through them. I was, you know, 15 years old and I was like, I don't like these tattoos. Like these aren't cool. This is weird. Mm. It's like, they're too funky. Cause not all of them are like, you know, some of them like this in tattoo magic specifically, they're really out there. It's like more about the, I don't want to say like spiritual side, but maybe 
it, it was just way more educational and well-researched than a lot of books you would find on tattooing. And I think that Ed Hardy, who made these, really understood the importance of like a lineage of a history and that it wasn't being recorded. And I know that Ed is also a good businessman and all that kind of stuff, but I do think that love for tattooing comes through in these projects and his desire to do like these mini little essays on certain artists on certain things. Like they all have a theme, you know, I think there's five of them. These ones right here, it's tattoo magic, music and see and art from the heart. So like he found artists that fit into those categories for him and showcase them and showcase history and showcase artistic tattooing that wasn't just this and showcase Japanese tattooing, like things that we didn't have access to at all. And so when I first got handed these, I didn't, I was like, Oh, these are like weird old books. Like it's not what I want to see. I want to see some new stuff. And then now they're, they're stuck with me to this day. So, so the importance of them is like unparalleled. And I know that um, Taki just, took over Hardy Mark's publication, which is who makes all these books. That's the little HM down there. Yep. And I, I, um, I hope that one day they're, they'll be available again, you know, so that everyone younger tattooers also can, can get to read them and experience that. Cause it's so cool. Nice. And, you know, I really want to talk about the afterlife stuff, right? Because you, you know, you contribute to tattooing with your tattooing, which is, you know, beautifully executed you know so that there is that part of like our, uh you know craft you're a craftsman in that way right but then you really created this thing which is beautiful which is a really high quality well put together uh, enterprise that produce things that are you know it's not quantity it's quality right so it's really beautifully crafted and the and the the value of the content it's on another level from many things you find. Uh, for example, I was reading an interview with Oliver McIntosh in your afterlife, uh, the three, I think, the green one. The and, disintegration, the magazine thing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, you collaborate with Grimey. So you you are, you know, connected with these people that had an incredible you know amount of knowledge. But then you also create things that are beautiful and, and they are valuable because they have this, this content. So how, how did that came? I mean, you, you can't explain how it came to be, right. But how, how are you living this experience? How is this journey so far for you? Um, it's really hard. It's because I think when it started, it was really new and really fun and really like, Oh, I want to make, I just kept having ideas. I was like, I want to make a book about this. I want to do this, but I didn't know anything about how to make a book. And I know that people in tattooing made books. So I knew it was possible, but I didn't know how much it would cost. I didn't know how much work goes into design, all of these things. So when it started, I just, I was working at Kings Ave. I was with O'Donnell and I was like, Hey, let me do a book on you you know, this would be cool. Let me interview you a few times and we can like compile something. We'll do two people. And I asked him who he wanted. So he was, he chose grime. He was like me and grime. That's what I think should be. That would be cool because we have a long history and, you know, different kinds of tattooing, maybe a similar story with some of our backgrounds, but it might be interesting. So volume one was just sort of wandering through 
a field trying to figure out what was going on. Do these interviews. Grime? Grime. Before that? Yeah, I got tattooed by him when I was like 19 or 20. Okay. And um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it was a scary experience and mm. good experience. And then, um, and then I got on his wait list again, like years later. And that was sort of also coinciding with Chris because he knew I was going to get tattooed by Graham back and forth. So he was like, just ask him. And he, so the next session I went to I was getting tattooed and I was like, Hey, would you be interested in doing, you know, a project like a, the book, a book project with, with Chris, you and Chris, or, and I sort of explained it and he was just, he was like, stop, stop. It's fine. I'll do it. Just shut up. And I was like, okay, awesome. So, okay. um, so yeah, he, he, um, and then from there that led to a really awesome friendship with him too, because then I, I would go work at Skull and Sword. I think I went two or three times. And then when he went to Seventh Son, that's why I ended up working there. So, and he's been invaluable, like advice and mentor through all of this stuff. So yeah. Um, but now, so that's why I was saying the first time it was, it was a little more like fun and exciting. Now it's a little scarier because they are high quality books. They are expensive to produce. So like if a book doesn't sell, then we're in trouble, you know, because of how much investment we put into it. So the last few years have definitely been really tricky trying to like navigate how to make it really succeed as a business where everyone can get compensated and the designers and editors and photography, video, uh, the artists inside the books, uh, myself for all that time. Like it's really, it's just a complicated business. That's really loose and really like this parts. so many. And it's, and I'm not organized with that stuff. You know, it's like, I just, I'm like, Oh, let's just do this. So like this year we actually just hired an amazing full one employee, Joel, who's awesome. And he's been so far invaluable with being like, Hey, I told him, I'm like, this is what we need. We need schedules. We need printer lists. We need deadlines. We need advertising for disintegration. Like we need things that will help this work. And I'm willing to pay to make this happen because with my tattooing and with the shop, it's just really hard for me to, I can't do everything anymore. And I think- Was it only you up to that point? What? Was it only you up to the point with Joel running the whole yeah. thing? Yeah, it's just me. I mean, I, we have amazing designers and I would have editors, like people I'd reach out to, like independent contractors, you know, be like, hey, can I pay you to edit this book? They'd be like, yes, like professionals. But I don't, I'm horrible at editing and stuff like that. And then the Cherish is- was our main designer. And then Cherish, we ended up making so many books. Cherish was like, I need, we need more help. So we got Masumi, who's an amazing, also uh, another designer. So then now it's like, now after life's becoming this thing where it's like, what designer, what editor, what artist, what we, it's like piecing together the parts now. So it's like, oh, we want to do a book on this. That would be perfect for Masumi. He's going to do that one. Cherish, we're going to do focus on these three books over here. And then me and Joel will work on gathering all the shit for disintegration or volume four, whatever else we're working on. So 
we have like a team, but there's, it was just me doing all of those, the like connecting for years. So now hopefully Joel can help, help this work. It's, it's crazy yeah. how much you don't, you know, if you have done it or if you know someone that does it and stuff like that, you have a better idea on the inside, right? Which is the yeah. same as many other things. But if you don't, you know, people have no idea what goes into that. And especially the thing is, it's a one man operation, more or less, you know, it's like, yeah. it's a one man operation that also has a, a main job, you know, which with, with all it takes, which often is too much, even just that for many people. Right. And I guess yeah. then you have like life, you know, so it's like, yes, does this guy even sleep, you know? And it's like, you know, yeah, it's, it's, I think this is the year it got too much for me mm. where I was like, I can't, I don't have the capacity anymore. The shop took so much work for me and and I've honestly started to feel very excited about tattooing again this year, which is crazy because I haven't felt this in like five years, I don't think. Why so, do you think is that? I don't know. Honestly, part of it is making the books. It's getting to be around these like, I'm going to do air quotes for heroes, but it's like these people that were untouchable to me in tattooing is people I'd read about or, and I, I'm not one to like idolize or put people on a pedestal, but there is a certain sense of, and because I'm not trying to talk about people in a sense of like, Oh, I just think they're so great. They're blah, blah, blah. It was just the sense of respect that I had for their work and their contribution to tattooing that made them sort of not a person and more of an idea of, okay, that's what my, does that's what chris does that's that's what grime does like they're not real they're this thing and then you meet them and you realize we're all exactly the same we're just people with eccentric personalities that are weird and doing our own stuff and have different beliefs and are going to stand behind different ideals as well so like you just start realizing how human we all are in those senses and as a kid seeing that that's sort of what what leads you to like get to spend that journey like asking those questions and seeing their process ruined my own so because it, it just made it impossible to achieve you know and I think that that's why my I didn't like tattooing I didn't hate it I knew I was good at it I knew I could tattoo a rose on someone's neck and it's gonna look really good and I'm not saying that to be cocky I just know it looks good, but it didn't feel like good to make, if that makes sense. Some of them did, you know, the first few do, and then you just, it becomes a job and you're just trying to get through the day and go home and eat dinner and hang out for a little bit. You know, it's like you're searching for these things. So like seeing, pulling the veil back on all these like heroes, quote unquote, again, like I think made me dislike my own practice a lot which was so weird you know but this last year I don't know why all of a sudden I feel like a spark and I'm really excited so that feels good honestly did, did you take for some reason any distance from tattooing at some point am I giving a break or not I mean when when COVID hit I think I didn't tattoo for like four or five months and but I painted like every day 
It was the most paintings I've ever made in my life. And it was so fun. I loved that mm. moment. I know how, again, privileged it is to say that, but I, I can, I can say from a personal standpoint, like COVID was that first five months was some of the best of my life. Like I remember, cause I didn't work on books really. I didn't work on tattooing. I was not held accountable to anybody or anything or anyone. And I felt so free to create and make paintings and make art. And then I realized I can still make a living selling paintings and trading paintings. And like, I'd sell a painting. I'd buy a painting from someone else. Like, I feel like we were all supporting each other and it just felt like for at the beginning, it felt good. You know what I mean? There were obviously really hard and really dark times after that in a lot of ways, but the, just the first little bit of it really was really freeing. And maybe that's really telling about how busy I do keep myself with all these different little projects because there's not a lot of time to get the focus on, on art like that. You know, like in within that space that you just described, so in between like bad moments for different reasons, like you had that, that blessed space where what I think I, I also, you know, I connect to that and I appreciate it. The fact that he made you not having to uh, deliver in any way, you know, and that's even often if you are that kind of personality, which I think, you know, we are similar a bit like that. You demand a lot of yourself and you feel like for a day to be, you know, a good day, you need to produce or achieve or, or make that thing happen or whatever, you know? And in that moment, you're like, okay, if I, today I do nothing at all, it's okay. Then you, you do it anyway, but without that pressure. So I think that's what the big, was the big relief of, you know what? I am allowed to be happy and okay, even if I don't produce or achieve or, you know, so that then you do it, but it's fun. So it's hard to find that space. I think at least for me in, in the daily life, you know, it's really, you need to be a practice awareness of, dude, you're allowed to, you know, take a chill because every yeah. day you got the drive and that energy be like, no, man, I need to make it this and this. And then I need to get up earlier and draw more. And, you know, and, um, yeah. you know, from these people that you cross path with, you interviewed and stuff like that. Can you think about some that uh, left a particular mark on, on you because of something they said, for example, I make an example of, like I said, the last interview I was reading with Oliver, and then he said a couple of things about his process that, that started a process in my head and be like, oh, you know, and it's like some spark that might go somewhere, might go nowhere, but it's kind of like, oh, and maybe you start doing things different. You feel very inspired. Can you think of some of those that, you know, and the people you interview left something on you? Yeah, um, many. I mean, I feel like almost every interview I get something out of Oliver especially honestly because i really look up to his work a lot and his process but yeah like for for his little spark for me was that he draws fills sketchbooks over and over drawing the same thing and then just throws them away that like, was blowing. <laughs> i don't understand i'm like i mean that is incredible you know and it shows in the work and it makes you want to go home and draw and it makes you want to try and I think other things like we've been talking about this at the shop just yesterday. Um, we have this um, new artist in there, Malia, and she is awesome and also learning a lot. And she's asking questions. And there comes a point in critiquing 
that you go so far that you like break the person mm. in a way where, and I remember um, Grime did it to me. I remember my first guest spot at Skull and Sore, he, he was like, what are you tattooing this week? You know, and it wasn't during one of our interviews, but those interviews led to this. That's why I'm telling this uh, anecdotal story or whatever. But he, I showed him the drawings for the week and I was starting to sleeve and he was like, no, no, you redraw it. And I was like, okay. So, and he was like, text it to me tonight, you know? So I send him the drawing. He's like, no, he draws over it, sends it back. And this goes on. I don't know. I probably had to draw this entire sleeve like 10 times. And by then I was like, well, I don't even know what it is. I don't like it. I don't know what to do. Completely stressed, staying up all night trying to draw. And the thing he said, which was, and this is what I told Malia yesterday. I was like, if he's like, if you can defend the reason you want to do it that way, which is wrong to me, you can do it that way, but you have to be able to not only defend, but explain why your idea is better than mine, because I've been doing this longer than you. And not that I know everything, but I do have an eye and a sense of who you are and what you're doing. And I'm not trying to change your tattooing. I don't want you to tattoo like me. I want you to tattoo like you, but the best version of that. So and that stuck with me to this day. So anytime I'm drawing or making decisions, I, and something, you know, it's like, why do I want to do it like that? And is that important to me? Does it matter? And this goes for painting. This goes for art. This goes for anything you're doing. I think for me, that's one of the biggest things to take away for life is why are you making this decision? And can you defend the actions behind it? Does it feel right to you? You know, and Sometimes it's wrong and it's very wrong. And I think even with non-tattooing stuff, that that's a lesson to be taken. But sometimes it's right. And it definitely makes you think about why you're making decisions. It just makes your art more conscious. So I, I like that. It's with everything. It's the yeah. same thing as without going to, you know, to psychological on it, but it's kind of like, okay, why are you doing this? Because it makes you happy or because, you know, you saw it somewhere or you want to achieve the status that you perceive in someone else or because you think that is what you're supposed to do because there is a voice. I, I hear this with a lot of younger people, you know, and I see this also with myself. You know, you have voices in your head that you might even be unconscious of that tells you why something should be that way or what you're supposed to be. And then it might even be whatever your parents, someone in school that left an impression or some work experience, you know, that told you, this is how you do it, you know? And then you subconsciously keep repeating that program. And then it's not necessarily making you happy, but you know, it, it's, it's a lot of crazy thing, but you can't go through that. You can't pierce through that until you, like you said, you have that conscious awareness of being like, okay, let me stop and ask a question. Why do I want to do it this way? You know, who am I trying yeah. to please here? Who's, who's talking? And then maybe like, yeah. oh, it's me actually, you know, is that teacher that I had or whatever, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's very, it's very important. And um, what's cooking for afterlife, meaning not necessarily what you're working on, like where ideally imagine like you could make it happen, right? Uh, where would you like afterlife to be at some point in time? Let's say five years down the line, you know, what, what would be the, 
the most significant thing for you to become? I mean, I don't know. I just want it to work. You know, I want it to be, I mean, realistically, I want it to be what I can do if I don't tattoo, you know, if I want to tattoo less, if I want to go down in days, like I love making the books and I love tattooing. So it's like a perfect like combination of uh, the interests in my life, but it's um, yeah. I would want it to be like in museum bookstores or received in like an artistic light. But I think that there is a lot of challenges to some of those goals because like tattooing books were not like Tashin or Fidon or these giant companies. We're not making 20,000 copies of a book to the point where they don't cost anything to make. So you can sell them for 30 bucks. You know what I mean? Like we're making such limited amounts they cost so much per volume. You have to sell them for so much that like that alienates most normal people who buy books. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you don't go into a bookstore and you, you're not going to see a two or $300 book, maybe in the entire store. The most expensive is going to be 50, 60 bucks. And that's because they're being produced on a very large scale. So that cost per unit is so low. And so I don't know how to get to that point because I don't want to print 20,000 books. I don't want to print 5,000 books. Even I want to make it just the best quality, most educational, like most fun and exciting and crazy design. Like we're having so much fun using different papers and different types of stamping. And it's just fun to come up with ideas and then see them work and see like a book in your hands and you're like, oh, this is actually beautiful. Like it's the best thing we've ever made. And I hope we can keep doing that. You know, that that's my goal to just do better. Let me ask you something. Cause I was thinking about this the other day when I was looking at, you know, your books, right. And they are very, you know, they're full of substance. They're beautifully made. They have a price, you know, which reflect all that you just explained. Right. And I was thinking to you at the moment, right to buy one of these books it uh takes some some for some some sacrifice you know for some people like okay i can afford this book if i want but it's not i don't take it lightly right so then yeah. that makes you also appreciate it because it's like man if i i need to really want it right unless you have like money to throw away so i was thinking that compared to, for example, the way you get information through social medias or internet or whatever, right? That there is such an abundance of information, like think about Instagram or something, right? That compared to how you things now are going to sound old or something, but how things used to be where you had one magazine coming out once a month, da, 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 da. so in those times, you know, you had the magazine and the next one was in a month. So you would know by the end of the month, every single square at mm-hmm. heart, by heart, you know, because you would go through again and again. Now with Instagram, you have this overflow of information and also like so much good stuff that you scroll and, and it's not enough your capacity to process that. So maybe you see an incredible back piece or something or whatever, and you're like, or at least most of the people, oh, okay, go. And then you're like, that is something that you could look at for a month by itself, right? On so many yeah. levels. So 
I was thinking maybe, you know, the way that things are now, for example, with your books, it's also a way to kind of counteract that because it forced you to say like, look, this book is really good. Meaning the information in here, like you ask really good questions in the interviews. You have really, they're not obvious, you know? So the information is good apart from the picture, which, you know, and then I'm thinking, okay, maybe the fact that it's not the easiest thing to get or even like for free, like on the Instagram, it might be seen also somehow as a good thing because it makes you really appreciate that. But then, then you know, then you have a lot of different options. You can say, oh, maybe I would like my books to be accessible or actually I would like my book to be high quality and you need to actually really want them. You know, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I want them to be accessible. I want them to be cheaper. That would be awesome. And I, the more I make them, I realize I might just be making them for people of our generation. And I'm not saying we're old. I don't feel old, but I feel like we're at that age now where we're in between the new guys and the, the old like timers, the old, say. The, the, okay. Yeah. The old timers. So we're in the middle of these, these groups. And I know that our generation I'd say like 33 to 50, they want books. They like books. They understand that that was where tattooing came from in a lot of ways. That was the passing of knowledge. That was like the history we would get. And anyone younger than that, there are a few and those people have, will seek it out and they will go get tattooed and all this stuff. But, you know, we have a lot of amazing tattooers that come and guest with us at the shop from all over the world and yeah i it's awesome to see their perspective and how they look at everything because i do feel very in the middle and i really support and like encourage all kinds of tattooing like i just love tattooing so it doesn't need to be a perfect dragon or whatever i'm like yeah fuck it up go have fun stick and poke i don't give a shit it's great make your mark but some of the understanding of the history isn't there and they don't care and that is totally okay so i think that's where my personal struggle is with afterlife as a business is i need people to care because we if no one buys the books we're not going to make any more books we, we can't they they each each book supports the next book so if a book mm -hmm. doesn't sell now we're scrambling to try and make money from my tattooing or from whatever it is to try and put back into it. So like, and I hate even thinking about money part of it. It's just so annoying to like focus on financial details of these things, but it's unfortunately for a business, that's how it has to work. And like, that's something I'm not good at because I'll just keep putting in or keep giving or keep doing this because I want to do it instead of being like, okay, Think about maybe you don't have to make these three books. Maybe you focus on this one instead and just do one really good one instead of four crazy ideas, you know? So social media makes it, it's such a double-edged sword. Because even if I tell artists like with Claudia and Utara volume three with Regino and all of them, I was like, don't share everything on Instagram. I'd like to publish work people haven't seen so that it's more incentive for them to want to buy it, to do what you just said. You are spending money on this. You have to sit with it. 
you, I want you to look at it. I want you to experience it and really take it in the way we used to experience a magazine back in the day. Um, and it's almost impossible. Like the urge to post on social media is so strong it's when you so do strong. something you like, it's almost impossible. So like, I just gave up asking. I was like, just post whatever the fuck you want. Hopefully mm-hmm. people will enjoy seeing something this size rather than this size. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's the only thing we can go for at this point. So, but I, I feel like social media is changing right now. So, and we don't have to get into a, a tech talk on all of this shit, but I do feel like it is maybe going to evolve in the next year or two into something different and much less used, at least Instagram. So I think Instagram is becoming like what we think of Facebook, maybe, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like I would, I wouldn't get on Facebook. I haven't been on there in years, but I don't know. I had a 23 year old kid was tattooing him yesterday, doing his arm. He was like, Oh, I don't have that. I don't have that. And then another client goes, yeah, I don't have that either. Well, and they're, you know, these are probably 19 to 25 year olds that, they're like, I don't care. It's bad for my mental health. I don't want to do it. I was like, it is bad for your mental health. <laughs> it is it, definitely it is, true. It's cool. I was talking with my girlfriend and she was saying recently this, that there is a change now that people are getting tired of social media. Like, you know, we can talk about ages for this, but it, it definitely became so, so intrusive that it's really out of control. And then it's like a switch, but it's really cool to see the switch in the newer generation because you might think, oh, maybe you've been using it for a long time. You're tired of it. It's like not a newer generation is feeling this way, you know? So it's really yeah. cool. And I'm not going to go too much into details, but I had a customer, you know, which, you know, he teach English to people and stuff like that. One of his customers worked for TikTok in China, it's Chinese, right? And was saying how that thing really works, meaning the algorithm over there is different than the rest of the world. So the way it promotes content is based on, learning value you know the rest of the world is designed that way so the rest of the world promotes different things so that's why you get videos of farts going virals you know but over there is different so if you publish something that had learning value it gets pushed higher in the algorithm so it's like okay i want people to have this other effect on me so you're like okay imagine if it would be that way you know and then maybe the fact that people are changing their mind might who knows, you know, but it makes you think it's like, okay, if you put like a second of thinking behind it's like, wait a second, there are many things that are so done by design and you get, and it takes so much time out of your day for what, for that. So anyway, it's a longer, it's a longer story, right? But no, but that's, it's a good point. Cause I will, those are the videos now that I'll stop on, on Instagram or what, or whatever. And it's always, yeah, a cooking, how to make this meal in like 30 seconds or like that. Mm-hmm wow, it looks pretty good or whatever, like this guy drawing and explaining why he's putting details in a certain, like I get these little videos now that just get shown to me. It's not things I follow. And I'm like, it is, you're right. It's the educational ones that I'm, I'll stop at and I'll be like, I'll watch that, which is, that's weird, I guess. Mm -hmm. But it is a tool for like these, and it's a quick burst. It's a 30 second video minute. And you do like get a little something out of it. I don't, I think it's a waste of time still, but it's it's not all bad. You it's know, it's a better waste of time. You know, rather than a better fear based fear based content. You know, that makes you like in that state. But again, we can talk about this for days, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Like apart from the stuff that you do, right, and the people you're involved with and stuff, 
Can you think about something that you've seen in the last year or two, whatever, that someone else did that you're like, oh, I really love that one. I really love what they did. You know, that could be like a project, an exhibition, whatever. And I was like, oh, that in, the, in tattooing, that was really cool. I think the stuff that impresses me the most, and I'm not just trying to plug the shop, but is the stuff I get to see every day mm-hmm. because I get to pick the brain. <laughs> like, I, you know, getting to talk to Greg and Emma and Aaron, these my, my amazing coworkers and Owen and John, seeing what they do, how they do it, getting behind their mind and like seeing how they create art and tattoos is, for me, it's mind blowing. I love it. And yeah, um, Stace, Water Street. Hey, you also have Stace over there, right? He left um, about four or five months ago. He moved okay. back to Canada. But, you know, Stace has been artistically an inspiration since I first saw or I first met him and saw his work at Pagoda, Justin's convention, the first one ever. I don't know when that was. Honestly, I can't remember. It was eight or nine years ago. And it was so cool and so unique and so original, but felt so familiar. And I think Stace is really, I'd say for me, most of his work really blows my mind and really is like unique and original while still having a really strong, it's got a strong origin in tattooing. You can tell he studied tattooing, he knows, but it also, he, he, wears his inspirations openly you know he's like i like this chrome i like this thing i'm gonna do it but he really does it his way and i appreciate that originality and i think that i i think that's pretty cool i feel like other work i've seen that's blown me away over or projects um it's been nice making books because i've become friends with the other bookmakers some of them out there and i get to talk to them and pick their brains so i mean there's so many good uh, historical tattoo books being made right now. Um, obviously seeing Grimes work is, it blows my mind every time. Like I still get, it's all the same shit. It's all the same shit that yeah. impressed me years ago. It's just like the newer versions. I like seeing those evolutions. So I think it's hard not to get, let, let quote unquote, depressed. You know, when you're exposed so much to grimy, Gregaltron, stays you know it's so hard to be like look at your stuff and like oh you know like yeah like when you compare creativity it was like man these guys are really they're not pushing the boundaries they're breaking them you know and then you're like yeah you know it's inspirational but fuck me it makes you depressed you know, yeah it does it's and, fun um, though i like i sort of like that you know i sort of like feeling worthless <laughs> in some ways because it helps me just be like all right fuck it i'll just do what i want to do and like right now i'm making a book of flash which i've never done i've never drawn like a book of designs for people to choose from but and i'm not drawing anything that i normally tattoo there's no butterflies there's no roses there's no spider webs there's none of this stuff so it's so freeing and i think that i got there and got excited again by working around those people and seeing and getting depressed and then being like, you know what? They're doing what they want. I'm just going to fucking do what I want. Even if no one gets it, it's more yeah. fun this way. Yeah, it's so. like, it's like the small fish in a big pond kind of thing. You know, you, you, yeah. you keep putting yourself out there. Right. Yeah. And um, 
is there something that you would leave to like, especially the younger tattooers, right? Which tattooing is changing and yada, yada. But, you know, is there something that you would give them as an advice that could help them in their, their career kind of down the line? Just ask for help and ask questions. I mean, that's the best advice you could ever give is to like be a good, kind, sincere questions and, and for help and admitting that like sometimes I think putting your ego in check is really important. Like I never think you're good. This is the only advice I can give is don't think you know anything because you don't and I don't and you can get little pieces of like information and little things like there are opinions that I have or that other people have that are valid and correct but it's not the only way you know so I think asking questions and trying to learn as much as possible forever like for me that that's how I like to live my life is is through questioning myself, questioning my drawings and questioning the people around me to see what they have to say about it too, you know? So, and not just tattooers, you can, you can ask anyone for, for advice on a tattoo drawing or things like that. And yeah, I think most of the things that I got in my career was simply because I asked, you know, I asked Mike for a job. Like I, I've asked for raises. I've asked for time off in a certain way. I've asked for certain days of the week and I have no problem being forward about what I need to live my life the way I want to. So I've definitely gotten shit for that from coworkers who are like, why did that happen? Or why are, why are you get to do this or this? And you're just like, well, I just, just went and asked. That's it. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Zach. Thank you so much because this thank stuff you. is really coming from you. You know, I really value your experience and, you know, taking the time. So thank you so much. Where can yeah, people thank find you? For you? Having me. People get tattooed from you, buy your stuff, all of that. Um, well, thank you, first of all, for asking me to do this. Such, such an honor. And um, yeah, uh, Shrine Tattoo, Santa Fe, New Mexico, and Afterlife Press. That's it. Bro. Thank you again. Okay. I'm going to take Thanks, much Jeff. more of your time. Okay. Go have a good night. Awesome. Thank you again, bro. Okay. Bye.